Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. Blessed be your holy name, O Lord. We thank you for this moment to spend with you, to study your word, words of life, words that make for peace. And so, Lord, we pray, we ask humbly for the gift of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit enlighten our minds so that we understand what we'll learn today. This is our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Maranatha, October 4 The earth flees from its maker. Therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the earth shall move out of her place. In the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. And it shall be as the chaste roe, and as a sheep that no man take it up. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. Thick clouds still cover the sky, yet the sun now and then breaks through, appearing like the avenging eye of Jehovah. Fierce lightnings leap from the heavens, enveloping the earth in a sheet of flame. Above the terrific roar of thunder, voices mysterious and awful declare the doom of the wicked. The words spoken are not comprehended by all, but they are distinctly understood by the false teachers. Those who a little before were so reckless, so boastful and defiant, so exultant in their cruelty to God's commandment-keeping people are now overwhelmed with consternation and shuddering in fear. Their wails are heard above the sound of the elements. Demons acknowledge the deity of Christ and tremble before his power, while men are supplicating for mercy and groveling in abject terror. Through a rift in the clouds, there beams a star whose brilliancy is increased fourfold in contrast with the darkness. It speaks hope and joy to the faithful, but severity and wrath to the transgressors of God's law. Those who have sacrificed all for Christ are now secure, hidden as in the secret of the Lord's pavilion. They have been tested, and before the world and the despisers of truth, they have evinced their fidelity to him who died for them. A marvelous change has come over those who have held fast their integrity in the very face of death. They have been suddenly delivered from the dark and terrible tyranny of men transformed to demons. Their faces, so lately pale, anxious, and haggard, are now aglow with wonder, faith, and love. Their voices rise in triumphant song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Amen. Okay. 
I want to read Ezekiel 13 on this point, especially concerning the first paragraph that we read about the false teachers that hear the words of condemnation distinctly. Ezekiel 13 And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that followed their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the desert. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the, great, in the day of the Lord. They have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, The Lord saith, and the Lord hath not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. Have you not seen a vain vision? And have you not spoken a lying divination? Whereas ye say, The Lord saith it, albeit I have not spoken it. The foxes of the desert, they go into people's farms and they wreck their, farm, their, their farmlands, uproot their crops and tear down the things that they have there. And God compares these false prophets to foxes in the desert. And you can see here in verse 7 and verse 6 and 7 the definition of a lying divination. It must not be that the person must see a demon before he divines. So far as he says something that the Lord has not said, promised you things that the Lord has not promised, then the person is giving a lying divination, a prophecy of his own heart. Example of such prophecy we are going to overcome sin only when Christ comes. We are going to stop sinning when Christ comes. Uh, until that time, we are not going to overcome our sins. That's an example of a false prophecy. And may God have mercy on those who do so. So I'll continue the reading. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Because ye have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore I behold, I am against you, saith the Lord God. And my hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and that divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel, neither shall they enter into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. That means they are not going to be written in the book of life. Their names will be taken out of there. In the book that contains the names of the 144,000. Because even because they have seduced my people, saying peace, and there was no peace. And one built up a wall, and lo, others dubbed it with untempered mortar. Say unto them which dub it with untempered mortar, that it shall fall. There shall be an overflowing shower, shower and ye, O great hailstones, shall fall, and a stormy wind shall rend it. Lo, when the wall is fallen, shall it not be said unto you, Where is the dubbing wherewith ye have dubbed it? If you continue, now talks about the daughters of Zion, also the women that have used their influence to say or preach evil, preach things that are not in the Bible to the church members and made their hearts to be sad. The ones that are trying to do what is right, they have condemned them. But going back to what I have read now, we read about yesterday, we read yesterday about um, the hailstones. Here we also see that God says 
in the seventh plague or when that hailstone will fall it will fall upon especially those teachers those false teachers who have used untempered mortar to dub the wall he's building about his people what is an untempered mortar the Miriam Webster dictionary defines tempered something that's untempered is not tempered tempered means brought to the desired hardness or strength by heating and cooling something that have the specified combination having the elements mixed in satisfying proportioned proportions so god wants to mix everything in satisfying proportions in us patience godliness faith temperance every fruit of the spirit he wants to mix it with with uh, all the proportions that is necessary so that we can perfectly reflect jesus christ but then all these teachings that come about they are so done in such a way that instead of giving us the desired mixture that god wants us to have the desired preparation they are not giving us desired preparations and it's like god dubbing us with untempered mortar and when that time at the seventh plague god is not even saying before the plagues begin at the seventh plague when the hailstones will begin to fall that is going to be seen really really that these teachers were so so false because they themselves will see that they have not prepared the people of god against the day of god as verse uh, verse uh, five verse five says so what is the admonition we are going to take today does it mean now that uh, before we now preach we are going to con- we are going to check everything that we are saying before we say anything we are going to cross check whether it's right or wrong yes that's true we have to be doing that james says in james chapter 3 verse 1 not many of you i'm reading from new international new english translation not many of you should become teachers my brothers and sisters because you know that we will be judged more strictly before you become a teacher or before you tell somebody about something you think is right or wrong ensure that, that thing is a thought here the lord if it is not a thought here the lord the lord will say you are teaching something that he did not tell you to teach and let it not be your desire that you want to teach something that the lord does not want you to teach because he has said things that will happen to such individuals who prophesy lies let us not be in that category the lord has made all of us have influence one way or the other and that influence will teach somebody about should teach somebody about jesus christ but god wants you to ensure that it's going to be line upon line precept upon precept because you might go away with it now before the four men and men might follow you because of your good reasoning because of your common sense because of your this or that but the lord has marked it and when that time will come to show those who were his own people to to show those who he has written among uh, in the book of life and to show those who have stood for him your name will not be there and then just as the reading have said that that voice that will be speaking it will be distinctly understood by the false teachers those people who have been prophesying and divining lies may god help us not to be in this category in jesus name amen in the second paragraph of the reading it says in the, about the third sentence there says those who have sacrificed all for christ are now secure hidden as in the secret of the lord's pavilion they have been tested and before the world and the despisers of truth they have evinced their fidelity to him who died for them i wish i could repeat that but i think you heard it so that means if we must be among these people who will be hidden in the secret of the lord's pavilion we will be tested and that will be a test that is 
before the whole world. And what's more, it says, and before the despisers of truth, they have evinced their fidelity to Jesus. How can we make it to be among these people? One. And secondly, what does it mean to be hidden in the Lord's pavilion? A pavilion is, means a canopy, a tent. The Bible speaks much about God hiding his people in his pavilion. In the book of Psalms chapter 18, verse 11, speaking about God, he says, He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Psalm 27, verse 5 says, For in the time of trouble, and that is the time we are reading about now, the time of trouble, which is the seven last plagues, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Also in Psalms 31 verse 20 it says, Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. That is the wicked. That is what is styled here as the pride of man. And he's saying that God will hide them, that is his people, from the pride of man but how we hide them in this in the secret of his presence thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues god has promised that during this time of trouble he is going to hide his people how secretly that is why in the book of psalms 91 which is a psalm written for the time of trouble he says he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And that's why we already saw that in Psalms chapter 18 verse 11, it says he made dark, darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. That is what is described as the shadow of the Almighty. At this time, when God has kept his people in the caves and dens of the rocks, though some of them are in prisons, yet they are still hidden in the secret place of the Most High, in that no one will still be able to destroy them. Because somehow God is going to stop the wicked so that they cannot destroy his people. In fact, we are told that at just at the seventh just before the seventh plague begins, some of the wicked will be rushing to kill the righteous. But we are told that angels in the form of men will come and fight for the righteous. And we are told that some will want to, they would have even gotten to the righteous and will want to hit them. But their swords will fall from their hands and they will not be able to touch the righteous. This is the secret place of the Most High. That is the shadow of the Almighty. That is his pavilion. But chiefly, what I want to talk about is, how can we make it? How can we be among these people? Who, how, who will be tested and through the test they will be able to stand they would have sacrificed all for Christ and now they will be secure it says they have, they have been tested the test happens on a daily basis it happens to us every moment but of course we know there is a test that will come that will culminate later towards the end or about the Sabbath but on a daily basis we face little tests on our fidelity what does fidelity mean faithfulness to god's commandments that's what it means how faithful are you to god's commandments jesus has said that he that is faithful in that which is least shall be faithful also in that which is great on a daily basis we face little tests sometimes we may be in a situation where a lie may save us from much trouble what do you do in such situations do you tell the lie if you tell the lie you fail the test 
sometimes like Joseph, we may be in a situation where the thing that we are gunning for, our ambition, something stands in the way. Somebody is telling us that we need to commit adultery if we must get that thing. Somebody is telling us that we must tell a lie, bear false witness, change something in the document, cheat, give false information, just do something against God's commandments. The thing you are going for, there's nothing wrong with it. But along the way, the devil has placed something there. And who permitted him to do that? God. To do what to us? To test us. To see whether we will be faithful to him. Now, if you are not faithful, it means that you have not yet understood what Christ has done for you. If we are not faithful, then it means that the love of Christ has not yet been entrenched in our minds and we don't love him enough. Because it's only love that can take people through this situation. You see, fear can only take you so far. If you are so afraid of death and that's why you are following God, when you see death before your eyes, what will you do? You will run and follow what the world is saying you should do. Something stronger than death needs to keep us. Something stronger than family time needs to keep us. Only love can keep us at this time. So we should be praying for the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts. And that's why in Psalms 91, towards the end, God gave his reason why he protected the people. He said, what verse was that? 19 or where? 91 verse 14. There he says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. So God gave his reason. And the reason is these people love him so much. And that is why he is delivering them. And how did they show their love for him? Faithfulness even in the face of death. Faithfulness even in the face of poverty. Faithfulness even in the face of sickness. Like Job. Sicknesses can come to you that will make you want to leave God. Sickness that you did not cause for yourself. It is just a test. God permits it to come. What will you do? When people are telling you to curse God and die. When people are telling you to forget your worshipping of God, that you should go and serve other gods so that you can get healed. All these things are tests. And it's our duty to ensure that we build our love. Because it's, you can't fake it. You can't pretend to keep God's commandments. And I tell you, a time will come. If you are so tested, fear will not take you so far. The desire for the mansions and for eternal life will only take you so far. The only thing that can keep you at this time is not because I'm thinking of the mansions. I'm setting before me the mind. Mansions, mansions. No, it's not going to keep you. If you are thinking, oh, death, I'm afraid of God's punishment, even that one will not keep you. The only thing that can keep someone is love for God. And how do you build this love? Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, By beholding, we become changed. If you will study the life of Christ, contemplate what he did for us, you ask yourself, what manner of love is this? Love awakens love. When you think of the fact that this man who did this thing called Jesus, he did not have anything to gain by coming down to this earth, losing all the glory he had, the worship of the angels. He even gave up his uh, omniscience he came here as a baby to be taught as like a human being. He was taught by his mother. He was carried around, born in a manger, suffered, was the carpenter's son, worked in the carpenter's workshop, 
went through poverty. Then, after that, tried to help man, but he got what in return? Crucifixion on the cross. Tell me one thing Jesus gained from all these things. Not one gain. And now he's going to have his hands are going to be scarred forever and ever. You have scars on his hand. Because of who? Because of me. To give me what? Eternal life. How much did he leave to do that? He left how much? All. He sacrificed all for my sake. And he had much. Me, what do I have? I don't have much. So when he's requiring that I sacrifice all for his sake, when I see how much he sacrificed for my sake, I should say, Lord, take everything. I cannot keep anything anymore because I have seen your love for me. But when you are not contemplating what Christ has done, it will be difficult for you to have that love that will take you through thick and thin. So my advice to us is let us study the life of Christ so that it will awaken that love in us that will make us to face death and still not disobey God and still be faithful that will make us to face losses on this earth and we will say no problem loss of family, loss of friends loss of property, loss of your own reputation and even loss of your life it is only love that can take you through me God give us the grace to develop that kind of love in Jesus name Amen Okay, the last paragraph here says that those who have sacrificed all for Christ are now secure hidden as in the secret of the Lord's pavilion they have been tested and before the world and the despisers of truth they have envied their fidelity to him who died for them now this is where I really want to to talk about because they to pass a test like the kind of test that these people will pass is not is no child's play. I think about the men who were talking with Jesus on the way to Emmaus, and later they said, "Did not our heart burn within us as He spake with us?" In other words, they were the, the words were burning in them, and they had to run and tell others. So the, the three Hebrew boys had to go. Before they go, before they went into the fire, they were already on fire. There's something the firefighters do when they want to quench fires, like a wildfire. If you have a fire that spans in a forest, let me say from Enugu State to Lagos, you have a wild forest, and then the forest is on fire. They will come in the middle of the forest, or let me say they will come They'll leave Enugu State and come to a place like um, Imo State. And they'll cut out an area and then burn that area. So after burning the area, when the fire from Enugu comes to that area that has already been burned, there is no, um, there is nothing to burn again. And so that's when the fire ends. And so, that, so that's how it is with these men. They were already willing to die. Nothing will stop them. For, for them, as far as they were concerned, that cannot stop them. They were not afraid of anything. They were already dead to the world. And so it, no fear, no, there was no fear in them because it's a perfect love casted out all fear. And so, just like the Hebrew boys who whom um, Nebuchadnezzar straight, who have nothing 
they were ready and willing to go to the fire. And so that's how these men, these um, the last people we hear that survived those plagues, that's how that's the point where they have come to in their walk with God. And I don't think this happens overnight. We must have been coming to that place every day. It's a daily walk until, by God's grace, we get to that place where nothing will stop us again. This is our prayer to Christ our Lord. Amen. Through a rift in the clouds, there beams a star whose brilliancy is increased fourfold in contrast with the darkness. It speaks hope and joy to the faithful, but severity and wrath to the transgressors of God's law. Read in Numbers 24 verse 17, the prophecy about Jesus Christ. It says, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy the children of Sheth. The star of Jacob is Jesus Christ, and it is him that shines in the pathway of the righteous. In this place, we are told that at that time, there will be a star that will be shining from the heavens. It will be so bright that in contrast with the darkness, it will be fourfold. That means even though there is darkness, the whole earth will be lighting with this particular light. And it will be unnatural. It will not be as the light of the sun, so that the transgressors of God's law will be shielding, will be trying to run away from the gaze of this light, from the brightness of this light. But the righteous will be glorified by looking at it. And the righteous will not be afraid of it because it speaks hope to them. They know it is not an ordinary star; it is from Jesus Himself. But talking about Jesus being the star of Jacob, what is the work of a, of a star? It gives light. It gives light and shines in the darkness. So that's why when our sun rises, our sun is a star. When it rises in the east, it shines in the darkness of the earth. And then we have daylight. All the darkness flees. The light penetrates everywhere. Jesus being the star of Jacob. Jacob, uh, in Jacob, we know the life of Jacob and how his name was changed to Israel. And he has been used as a symbol of all who shall come to Christ in faith with their many sins and hold fast the promises of God and the merits of Jesus Christ. They will, they will be forgiven as Jacob was forgiven and their names will be changed and they will be incorporated into the tribe of Israel. Yet Christ is the star of Jacob, being that he is the one that directs the pathway of all who shall come unto him by faith. He is the one that will show them the way, for he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's no other light that the Christian has except Christ. There is no other thing he sees except Christ. In every direction he turns, he sees Christ reflected, and he should see Christ reflected. In all that we do, we want to see how we can imitate the pattern above. He's trying to copy him because just like the sun, without the sun as the night, as we're already in the night now, there is no light except for the generator that we have, we may see. But if you come into the dark night, there is no sign of uh, light except the stars in the heaven and the reflection of the sun on the other side. If the thick darkness of Egypt or the one in the plagues will come upon the earth now, the darkness will be felt. You will not see one single ray of light. You will not even move an inch because you cannot see anything. 
So this world is, and so we are now. If Christ is not made the only reason why you are doing what you are doing, if Christ is not made the only reason why you are going where you are going or whatever thing that is happening to you, if he doesn't, be, if he's not the one showing you the way, then you are going to be in a terrible uh, a, a position. And at this time, when it will be shining in reality, when the darkness will be seen in reality and the light will be seen in reality, then we will now descend between those who serve God and those who serve Him not. But let us make Christ our star today, because He has been prophesied as the star of Jacob, the one who guides Jacob to light and life. If we make Him our star today. Then he will be our star from henceforth till the end. And as far as we follow his guiding, we shall get to that safe heaven. He will not, he will not allow us to miss our steps. I remember the vision that Ellen White had, her early visions in early writings. It says that um, the people of God were seen on a road where the angel told her to look up. And there was a bright star shining at the end of the journey. So behind and then Christ was in front leading them and also there was a bright light at the, at the, at overhead them. And the angel told her that behind them, the light that was shining behind them was the midnight cry while Christ was leading them in front. Anyone who is weary, he raises his hands and then a light surrounds that individual so that the individual can be comforted. But if the individual looks away from the light that Jesus is shining upon him, he falls down into the darkness below. This is also to show us how Jesus is the light and is leading his people to the safe heaven. Let us not be like those people who fell down to the darkness below because we rejected the comfort, the experiences he wants to give to us in our homeward journey. It will not be an easy thing, but as we read, all those who sacrifice everything for Christ's sake, for the comfort that Christ gives, for the light that he gives, at that time they will be rewarded for painstakingly holding on to the light even when all was uh, not clear to them, but they said, For the sake of Christ, my star, who is guiding me, I will not um, I will not go back to darkness. I will keep going, even when I don't understand what is happening. God will make it plain to me in due time. May God help us to put this into our minds and then also make this decision to be firm, to stand uh, in the light of the star of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember John chapter 3 where Jesus said that he has come as a light into the world and that he did not come to condemn the world but the world through him may be saved. That this is the condemnation of the world that light has come but that men rejected light and loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He that loved the light will come to the light so that his deeds will be reproved and he will set it right. Anytime at all we are convicted of sin, that light is shining into the chambers of our soul. And it is not shining so that we can, you know, feel rejected and then go away from him or chase us away from him. Rather, it is coming to save us. So when he searches out our sins from, from within our, the secret recesses of our hearts, it is for us to put them away. But what we show our attitude as people who do not want the grace of God is when the light shines into our hearts on any subject at all, on any part of our any part of our life that uh, we are struggling with. And God tells us this is this is what this thing is. It is because you like lying somehow, it's because you like this thing somehow. That's why you are intent on good doing it. This thing is this way or this thing is that way. 
it is said so that you can be saved from it. Just like the surgeon's knife cuts the body to remove the cancerous tumor inside of it. But if we pamper ourselves and say, leave me alone with my sin, leave me alone with my lifestyle, it doesn't concern you, it is my own, then you are really condemning yourself. No longer God has condemned you. You are condemning yourself by holding on to that particular darkness instead of following the star of Jacob as he illumines and shines upon the life. May God help us so that when the light will be shining into our hearts, trying to take away the things that concerns, uh, things that will take away sin from things that. When this light is shining into our hearts to take away sin from us, we will not reject it. Rather, we will open the chambers of the heart to the light of life, just as we open our rooms to the sun, so that every bacteria will die and every sin that's inside of our hearts will be taken away. May God help us in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for those lessons that you've taught us today. Again, you've reminded us of how the wicked will fare in the end and how you'll be a light to the righteous. How the same light that will be burning to the wicked will be safety and joy and peace to your people. Father in heaven, we really, from the bottom of our hearts, want to be a part of your people. Dear Lord, indeed we are weak as we look at ourselves, but we do know that you're strong. I plead, Lord, that your strength be made perfect in our weaknesses. Your words have told us that those who will be yours will learn to give up all. Dear Lord, please give us the mind of Christ that we may learn to surrender all to you even today. If there is anything, Father, that we are still holding on to that is keeping us back, even in our mindsets, the things of this world that still appeals to us, Dear Lord, please help us to see them for really what they are. That they are not even gold, that they are just base metals. That they will fail and disappoint in the end. Because it is only the life that is in you that is worth it. Dear Lord, please open the eyes of our mind that we may understand the things of this world for what they really are. And please give us true love for you, for you and the things you have to offer. And then please give us true hatred for everything that is against you for everything that is not of you. Please grant us your Holy Spirit, for without you we can do nothing, that he may guide us in the paths of righteousness. Even as we enter this new week, O oh Lord, may you bless us, may you guide us, may you protect us, may you direct our steps. Establish us, O oh Lord, in your righteousness. That which you'll have us do for you this week, please help us to do and give us the strength and the wisdom to do. Bless us all, O Lord, wherever we may be. Thank you so much for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.